Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities, eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. Hello, salam everyone. Welcome to episode 57 of She Talks Peace. I'm Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, greeting you from Manila. You know, dear listeners, um, this week brought us the sad news that Queen Elizabeth II died. That was on September 8th at the age of 96. While the Philippines is not a part of the Commonwealth, still we shared the grief of Her Majesty's family and her constituents. She was a leader, probably the most known leader of the world a woman who inspired and was steadfast in her commitment to peace and a world united. She was loved by her people. And I thought maybe I could share with you some of the quotes that were attributed to her that shows what kind of a leader she was. During the Second World War, I wasn't born yet then, and I suppose neither were most of you, they had this wartime broadcast to lift the morale of the British people. And in 1940, October 13, 1940, this may have been her first broadcast. And she said, when peace comes, remember it will be for us, the children of today, to make the world of tomorrow a better and happier place. That's pretty amazing coming from a teenager to be thinking of the future and the role that she would play. And for the 70 plus years of her reign, she did try to make the world a better and happier place. And then she had a very inspiring quote during the pandemic. This was, I think, 2020. And she said, while we may have more still to endure, Better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. And I think that really helped her people to cope with the horrible pandemic that was COVID-19. Then I like this 
quote from her. She says, It's worth remembering that it is often the small steps, not the giant leaps, that bring about the most lasting change. And then for all of us who have been struggling in our communities to reform the system, to try and make our communities better, she said, it has always been easy to hate and destroy. To build and to cherish is much more difficult. When life seems hard, the courageous do not lie down and accept defeat. Instead, they are all the more determined to struggle for a better future. Today, there are so many clashing points of view, you know. I mean, all you have to do is look at the United States to see how polarized the communities have become, all because of lies that are told frequently, making them seem like fact. And Queen Elizabeth had a good statement about that. And she said, we may hold different points of view, but it is in times of stress and difficulty that we most need to remember that we have much more in common than there is dividing us. And she also said, the world is not the most pleasant place. Eventually, your parents leave you and nobody is going to go out of their way to protect you unconditionally. You need to learn to stand up for yourself and what you believe and sometimes, pardon my language, kick some ass. I think that was probably one of the very few quotes from her when she, she tells it like it is. And this one you're going to like. She says, I know of no single formula for success. But over the years, I have observed that some attributes of leadership are universal and are often about finding ways of encouraging people to combine their efforts, their talents, their insights, their enthusiasm, and their inspiration to work together. And with that last quote from her, I'm really excited to introduce to you our guest because she is a teacher, she's a professor, and she's one of those women who really spend time and energy to encourage her students, her constituents, to share their talents and insights all for the common good. And our guest today is Dr. Lourdesita Sobrevega-Chan, the Philippines Women's Rights Representative to the ASEAN Commission for the Promotion and Protection of Women and Children, or ACWC. Professor Chan, fondly called Professor Bing by her friends and admirers, has served as representative to the ACWC since 2017. She is also the chairperson of the Ateneo de Davao University's Research Council. And today, Professor Bing will be sharing with us her own personal journey as a women's rights advocate, as well as her experience in the ACWC, particularly the work that she's now doing, helping to draft the ASEAN's Regional Plan of Action for Women, Peace, and Security. 
Dear listeners, you have heard us talk about women, peace, and security issues over the past year from women peace builders in conflict areas. Today, we shall hear from someone who is actually working on a plan of action that can help women in 10 countries of ASEAN. Welcome, Professor Bing Chan. Thank you, Amina. Good afternoon, and thank you for that very warm introduction. And also, good afternoon to the listeners and the viewers of this podcast, as well as to our production staff. So, yes, I'm so happy to hear those uh, words that you have quoted from Queen Elizabeth. If I may make a rejoinder into that. Oh, yes, please. Yeah, just few. Incidentally, in my lesson this morning, the topic is on Cicero, or in Latin, Cicero that Roman states person, you know, and one of the political insights that he mentioned is uh, for leaders to have, I mean, the law that he says leaders and countries uh, should have must is inspired, is propelled by the love for humanity. And one of the manifestations of this love for humanity, which is a subscription to law, for leaders is to show loyalty and dedication to duty, loyalty to country and service. And incidentally, I cited the queen for her exemplary service to her people and the realm during the Second World War when she never left. She and her family did not leave the Buckingham Palace to hide at the Balmoral. She wants to be with her people at the time when bombers are coming into exchanges during that difficult time. So very rare. And I'm so happy that you cited her because she is a woman leader also. Thank you. She was really amazing, Prof. Bing. Can you imagine? She actually served with the Women's Auxiliary Corps as a mechanic. And and she actually learned how to strip an engine. And repair and yeah. repair an engine. That's that's pretty amazing. A royalty and and a woman learning yeah. to become a yeah. mechanic during the war. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I cannot. Yeah, very I cannot imagine some of our uh, women leaders all over the world doing that kind of thing. But, um, <laughs> she was of her era, and she was pretty amazing. Seventy plus years of uh, of governance. Yeah. Yes. And I and I think I mean if if she had been with us in ASEAN, I think she would be one of those that would be supporting the work that uh, you're doing with the ACWC. But before we go into the Women, Peace, and Security Plan, tell us, Prof. Bing, what does the ACWC do? What is this organization? Is yes. Okay, briefly, uh, the ACWC, which we call as the ASEAN Commission for the Promotion and Protection of the Rights of Women and Children, is a human rights body of the ASEAN. As a human rights body of the ASEAN, it is dedicated in studying the specific, no, particular situation of women and children in the region and find ways and means to promote protection, to promote the rights, find ways and means to find measures by which uh, those rights can be protected 
can be respected and can be promoted. And how does ACWC do this? Through the composition, which is a representation of the 10 member states. Each of the states has, 10, has two representatives, one for children and one for women's rights. So the 10 member, uh, the 20 member commission uh, does a study on the specific issues that emerges that are considered to be of priority in the region. And from these studies, uh, policy decisions, policy options are thereby recommended to the right bodies for adoption. Now, for the policy formulation work of the commission, often uh, we find a way of coming up with joint statements, as in the case of the Women, Peace and Security, we have the joint statement on that. Ask something more about that, I can elaborate later. And then we have declarations to put a stop to violence against women, to put a stop to violence against children. Then there are various documents like to promote gender mainstreaming, to protect the rights of the migrant workers and all that stuff. So it's a combination as a commission, we sort of forward you know, the issues of women and children in order for member states to act on these issues based on the shared agreements that are forged along the way as we move with our work. The good thing about the work here is uh, it's evidence-based. It's always backed up by research, and it is done in consultation with the various relevant uh, bodies in the ASEAN. Cross-pillar, pillar, interpillar consultations are done. If we note, there are three major pillars in the community pillars of the ASEAN, the sociocultural pillar, the ASEAN economic community pillar, and the peace and security pillar. So like, for example, for the WPS, while it started from the sociocultural pillar, community pillar, then we involved the ASEAN economic community and the peace and security community pillar to be part of the work. So yeah, it's an exciting work the members are coming from either government, there are countries who send their government representatives, and there are countries who send uh, representatives from the private sector or from the non-civil society organizations. So like myself, I come from the civil society organization, but appointments are done by the respective uh, governments. So, By the way, Prof Bing, I just came from a consultation with the youth sector, an ASEAN-wide consultation. There were like 62 youth representatives who, who joined us. And because maybe they're young and therefore they're, they want everything done uh, fast, there's always this complaint that ASEAN moves so slow and that they don't see the impact. And I, I try to tell them, no. I mean, if you look at how ASEAN has evolved over the last 50 years, you can see where successes have been made in making the region more stable, more secure, and even so far as supporting human rights, especially women's rights. What has your experience been with ACWC, Prof. Bing? I mean, are you happy with the progress ASEAN has made? in the field of uh, protect, uh, protection of uh, 
the rights of women and children? Thank you for that question, uh, Amina, and for sharing the insights of the young people about it. I have heard that uh, several times, the comments that ASEAN is quite slow in the way it responds to things. No? Coming from within, I would say, am I happy about this? After so many years of being part of the commission, I think I feel, feel privileged to be a part of this body where we can make a dent. No? We can influence uh, policy directions and decisions of the key stakeholder in the region, and these are the 10 member states. Okay, let me qualify this. What is so desirable about the process? For the issues that are of pressing concern, like violence against women and children. Oh, that's important. Yeah, these are not easy to deal with, most especially that you have to deal with you know, the dominant notion of a masculinist state. And how do you mobilize a masculinist state to move its resources, policies, financial allocations, its people in support of programs and campaigns to systematically put an end to violence against women and children, if not for this? Uh, body, if not for the shared conversations. One of the principles by which uh, ASEAN stands by its processes is it has to be inclusive, it should rely on consensus, you know, and it should not leave anyone behind. So any issues like violence against women that has to be acted upon is done, is addressed methodically. And we have to deal with 10 countries. And the 10 countries in the region are of different political systems, oh, political organizations. Yeah, but democracy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, different economic statuses, you know. But what is amazing there is when you start to discuss, say, among the commission's uh, representatives level, the differences may be evident. But along the way, it is managed. And yeah, you're right in saying earlier, it may start with differences, but eventually we realize we are one people. Even if we have different political systems, we care for our people. And so eventually we come up with an agreement, put a stop to the violence against children in the digital space, like online bullying. No? That's one of the latest we have agreed upon. So... In the meetings, uh, there are discussions. How can you call it violence? How Because it's just in the online, in the digital space. So along the way, the issues are crystallized and we come to a consensus. And once we have done it, then we go through the process of uh, consultation within the ranks until it reaches the table of the head of states. Having the head of states approve it and sign it is a major, major Milestone. I'm a teacher of political science, uh, Amina, and I recognize how the processes and the, how difficult it is yeah, to get states. I mean, just yes. lobbying within our government alone is yeah. such a long and difficult process. Imagine having to deal with 10 governments. Ten, yes. And then the papers are so are, are circulated, then you have to review and all that stuff, convince each other. 
And then once it reaches the agreement and they sign, then that's a victory. While it is a victory, this I think what should our young people and the rest would appreciate. The signing of agreements, of declarations at the head of state level is a major victory. And the gain that you have there is you have the political commitment of heads of state to do something about it. But the real, the real battleground remains in the implementation in the member state. And that is where the dynamic force, the, the synergy of action of civil society organizations, government agencies, private sector becomes necessary in order to engage their governments to implement the agreement that they have signed. Yeah. Now, if I tell I'm, you, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned civil society being because many of the countries of, of ASEAN don't really have the robust civil society that we in the Philippines have. So let me ask you a personal question. How did you get into women's rights activism? You're a professor of political science, but now you're, you're known as a women's rights advocate. So can you tell us what was your awakening moment that you got into advocacy for women's rights? Yes, I started, I am a martial law baby in the Philippines. Okay, so I graduated in political science from the University of the Philippines that was under martial law. Remember that among the universities in the country, I think it was only UP who was able to carry out no, the political science program throughout the period of martial law. So, but my understanding of the realities uh, in the, when I was in the academy, then as a student, is more of theoretical. But when I got started working as a professor, I started to understand the, the dynamics of the movement from the ground. So what was my awakening here? My awakening, it's profound. I think it's more in the line of third world feminism. When we try to understand why the poverty in the country, why the discrimination, why the victims, the vulnerability and the human rights victimization, why the inability to participate and to withstand a very strong state, then we understand we start to realize that even if it is both the men and women who are rallying for major and radical changes, there manifests a peculiar face to the problem where the relationship of men and women are concerned. Uh Yes. Yes. If you take stock of the gender diversity table of the leaders of the country, even at that time onwards, we noticed that they are all largely men. You know? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I come from Mindanao, and Mindanao is a zone of conflict. You know that. Oh, yes. Then many of those on the front line and the decision makers are men. And so I started to get engaged with colleagues who started to discuss about where are the women in all this? So it started from the national situation analysis. And then we cross to the point that there is a face in this problem, and that is the unequal gender power relations. And it's not just gender. It's really about women's marginalization, 
discrimination and subordination and all that stuff. So it started with that, Amina. And so there was no more turning back. Yes. I'm so glad that there was no turning back because now we have you in ACWC helping to make a draft regional plan of action on women, peace, and security that hopefully can really help empower women at the community level, whether it's in Myanmar or in Mindanao, to participate. Because women's participation, every time you have a peace process, it's, show, it's shown that agreements become more sustainable. So, so let's go into this regional plan of action, uh, Prof. Bing. What can you say about that? Um, what does the regional plan of action on women, peace, and security look like? Okay. Would you allow me to give a little background? Uh, oh, and then yes, I go into that. Yes. When I joined the ACWC in 2017, the major, uh, the first major responsibility assigned to me is to work for, if possible, a joint statement on women, peace, and security at the ACWC level. The reason why I was tasked, because at, in 2017, on the 50th anniversary of the ASEAN, I think it was the Philippines who was the chair of the ASEAN. And so I said, okay, I take this on, but let us try if we can push for the agreement of the head of states uh, for this year. And the rest is history because we work fast on it. And so the joint statement was not just at the commission level, but eventually we uh, had it with uh, for the entire region where the head of state signed in the summit in Manila. Now, the joint statement, fortunately, I, I cannot uh, continue in saying without acknowledging the support of the previous president of the country, President Rodrigo Roa Duterte, because he was the ASEAN chair at the time. And I think he's being uh, someone from Mindanao and has been a witness to the many conflicts that we have to navigate also our lifetime. Then uh, uh, I think he was just the right president to see the importance of this document. And so the Women, Peace and Security uh, document was signed, which really highlighted that we have to promote the culture of peace that in the promotion of the culture of peace and the prevention, we should involve the women as well as the men and the boys to be part of it. So it is a concerted effort. But for the most part, it really uh, asserts that women should be part of the peace-building effort no? for that. And then we have to have an inclusive movement for peace. And as we mobilize women's involvement, then we have to build their capacity as peace builders. Because remember, even if we have a good record of women involved in peace building, for the most part, the notion, the idea of a peace building work has always been one that is stereotypically masculine, right? Because they think of it as uh, security, defense, therefore military. Yes, yes. When in fact, it is not. Yeah, it's not. You know, and the document recognizes women as mothers and as uh, wives, that they are a key force for peace building. And so the rest was history. And from the WPS joint statement, the ministers uh, of ASEAN had an ASEAN ministerial document that reinforces the women, peace and security, the joint statement. 
and one of the strengths while it asserts no for and it supported the message of the joint women peace and security statement which by the way also highlighted the point that gender related violence such as sex uh, sexual Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Violations, rape should be a no-no in in, in, in the it's criminalized. It should be yes. So in the ASEAN ministerial meeting, I think the good uh, one major contribution that it has is it already recognizes it commits that all the member states should really involve women in all the peace building efforts and that the women should take more leadership position in politics in governance so that they can have an impact in uh, the peace building effort and they have to work for sustainable peace and stability in the region notice that by saying sustainable peace it, it does not only mean the secure the, the conflict thing but it's really sustainable peace in all aspects no and the thing about the this statement also is uh, it is not just something that the sociocultural community since the ACWC and the ASEAN Committee on Women is coming from this pillar it's not just a matter of work for the sociocultural community pillar but this time it says it has to be with the involvement of the asian economic community as well as of the political and security pillar so an integrated work three uh, community pillars so you're mainstreaming you're mainstreaming wps into the other uh, pillars and the yes, sectors yeah that's very uh, powerful and very important and then this was also backed up by the regional study on women peace and security which provides us the evidence as to where the countries are relative to this advocacy and one of the recommendations of the regional peace study on wps is to come up with the regional plan of action note that the regional plan of action is now veering towards concrete measures that will serve as guide for member states on what to do to carry out the WPS in the respective uh, state level although as a side bit i would like to mention that we are also in the philippines uh, planning to push for the declaration on WPS but we are paving the way now for the moment for the passage of the regional plan of action of which i am part of its uh, advisory group no so what is in it 
So tell us what, what is in the in the original plan of action, and do you really think it's going to push the the envelope a little bit more for empowering women in peace and security? For all the efforts that were poured into it, I would like to believe so, because the consultation, because we moved from one component to another in the consultation. I think it was also an educational process along the way, which will help member states do their, their work. No? So what is in it? As I said, the regional study provided us the context of where we are in ASEAN on WPS. The RPA outlines the key strategies and actions to be taken in each component where they use this framework the protection matrix. So what are we going to do in the protection matrix? What are we going to do in the participation matrix? What are we going to do in the prevention matrix, in the relief and recovery matrix, that is the component of peace building, in the implementation, coordination, reporting, monitoring, evaluation matrix? I think our consultation, remember we had some consultations, Amina, in the country, about this. Many of the points that uh, you and your team has given to me were carried over in the document of the proposed draft of the RPA. Now, what is so striking about the content? I cannot enumerate all because it's so lengthy. What is very striking is the one you mentioned earlier on. While we recognize the state responsibility to push for peace-building efforts, the RPA still recognizes that, but for the good part, it mentions or it asserts the community participation in promoting peace in the region. Oh, that is so important, Prof. Ding. Localize, yes, localize it. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the right word. Localization of the peace building effort. And security work is just one of them. So it's the peace building effort to be done locally with the cooperation of the various uh, groups in the community side by side or in partnership with government. So it's like a total uh, approach involving the community, the government, even the faith-based organizations. Because we are in the region, ASEAN as a region, I mean, we are all aware that the factor of religion, you know, the faith-based organizations have a key role in many of the discourses involving peace in the area. So, so faith-based organizations should be main part of this. Okay. And then also it pushes for more involvement of women in politics. So meaning you we look at this as a strategic move also to pave the way for women to break through the, the ceiling, no, the boundaries that women in the community, in the various levels of governance, if they want peace, they have to be a part of it. Professor Bing, generally, when we look at the pillars for women, peace, and security, protection, participation, prevention, uh, recovery, really, when you talk about yeah. protection, I think almost all of the governments accept that as you know, as, as an obligation of the state. When you talk yes. about prevention of conflict, they also agree. But when it comes to participation, I think that's where you get so much resistance. 
the only Indonesia and the Philippines have national action plans for women, peace, and security. And interestingly, those two countries also have, I think, more women who are in, uh, you know, leadership positions. So how are you going to push the participation of women as, as a pillar, Prof. Bing? Yes, please uh, take note, Amina, that we are also working side by side with the ASEAN Commission on Women. This is the ministerial body of women in the ASEAN, the government ministers on women in the ASEAN. And the ACW, with the support of ACWC, has likewise already successfully passed the gender mainstreaming framework upon which all initiatives in the ASEAN has to be guided by. Okay, So side by side. With, and that was signed already, I think, by the member states. With that commitment from the member states to mainstream gender in almost all spheres of governance operation, then we are hopeful that this can provide a steady and a promising support to the push in the RPA to increase women's participation in peace-building work. Yes, because the gender mainstreaming to which the head of, I mean, the states have committed requires allocation of resources, real resources. And oh, therefore, I'm glad real, real resources. Yes. And it requires uh, audit, Amina. You have to audit, I mean, respective governments as to check where they are. I mean, if you allocate resources, where did it go and all that. If we have to refer to the Philippines, uh, the Philippine Commission on Women, who is our, the ones responsible for auditing this, are checking where agencies are putting their God budgets and what have been done so far. So we, we look forward to that. And But see, those are promising measures coming from the formal state, okay? So much hope, and that we have learned along the way. You know that because you have been a very active uh, woman leader on women, peace, and security. You know that the key really here is the movement from the ground. Oh, that yeah. is where we need a dynamic force from the civil society organizations, people's organizations, women-led organizations, in order to catalyze, you know, the movement to promote greater women's participation in politics, since there is so much space now afforded by the formal mechanisms of government. But let me ask you about that uh, that space for, for civil society participation, because it seems like in some of the ASEAN member states, Myanmar, for instance, the feeling is civil society organizations are not allies. They are seen as threats. And I think it's also happening in some of the other states. So in all of our consultations with civil society, they kept stressing, we are allies. We're your partners, government. So let us participate for peace and security. How are you going to, in a way, convince the other governments of ASEAN, that civil society is a very good partner 
not just for peace and security, but for humanitarian work, right? Disaster and all that. How are we going to do that? Precisely, we are aware of that, ma'am. Precisely, we are pushing for regional agreements that will bring member states to agree on this. That's why in the RPA, for example, time and again in all the processes that we have done, we really cross-check if we have put the position on the civil society organization as a positive force, you know, because once it is there in the formal document, there is no way by which the member state can just turn their back away. Of course, we know that in the practical level of political operations, things may be different. But all the more, there is hope that things can be mitigated or rectified if in the formal document, a commitment has been made and then you have a basis to check on accountabilities. You see, that is where one of the strengths of the ASEAN agreements lie, that you are able to create a space where you bring uh, the 10 member states together to a shared commitment that is written, that they have signed, so that when the going gets rough, there is a document for us to refer in terms of checking accountabilities. You know, Prof, I'm really yeah. glad that you're sharing your your optimism with our listeners because I think conflict has, has surfaced so much. Uh, it's no longer just because of ISIS or Al-Qaeda or Abu Sayyaf or Jamaa Islamiyah. You now have conflicts emanating from faith, like Christian nationalism in the United States. And with these kinds of conflict, it's not, I mean, it's easy to see how it can enter countries like Malaysia, which doesn't really have armed conflict, and start, right, snowballing or becoming a firestorm that can erupt into conflict. But still, many of these governments, when they look at prevention of conflict, they're still doing it at the state level and not really bringing in the ideas of union or youth sector or the religious sector of civil society. But as you said, getting the governments to agree on common ground, like the language that talks about uh, securing the participation of civil society, that is a necessary uh, step because once we have that, then those of us with civil society working at community levels, we can always use that, right? I mean, you can say, look, ASEAN now has a regional plan of action. Government, you have got to do something yes. about it because you agreed. Yes, ma'am. So that's the way it's going to go, right, Prof. Bing? I completely agree. Before I I have uh, my personal thoughts in support of your statement, Amina, but before that, let, just, let me just give you some examples of the initiatives of some member states. Of course, you are right. It's the Philippines that started, that had the National Plan of Action ahead of the others. And this was followed by Indonesia. Okay, So both of us have already two uh, generations of NAP. And the Philippines, the striking feature of the Philippines, uh, its contribution is the localization of WPS agenda, particularly in the Bangsamoro Autonomous Region of Muslim Mindanao. Okay? 
through the development and implementation of the BARM Regional Plan of Action on WPS. That's on the local level. What Indonesia also showcases as a peculiar contribution is that it mainstreams WPS at the national level through the National Plan of Action on the Protection and Empowerment of Women and Children in Social Conflicts. Okay. So that's another model no, that we have so, done. So when you talk and, about social conflict, that would now include issues of gender, LGBTQ, and all of those other very, uh, uh, no, uh, issues, yes. Yes, issues. And then the second generation NAP of Indonesia focuses on preventing and countering violent extremism that leads to terrorism. That issue is not strange to us in Mindanao in particular. No? So that's it. Now, if we go to Thailand, Thailand has did not pass a national action plan, but what they have passed are measures and guidelines on women and the promotion of peace and security. That is what they have. Why tantamount to enough? In Cambodia, they have a gender action plan for law enforcement. In Myanmar, they have a national strategic plan for advancement of women, okay? And for Vietnam, they have a law on gender equality. Thus far, these are the countries with very specific commitments to the call for national plan of action. Now, going back to, can you please refresh me a bit in your earlier comment, what is it, the one that you asked me to say something? Oh, Amina. Yeah, about the last- how governments, it's essentially about political participation of women and how you're going to convince this government, government. Yeah, to really support that particular pillar of the regional plan of action. Yeah, I have been in the women work for four decades, you know, four decades. And in all this time, there are really a lot of hurdles. Nothing is made easy. And always we have, we always we are confronted with a formidable state. You know, I am speaking about this from the stand, even if I am part of the government as a representative. But my experience is from outside of government where you have to deal with a formidable state. But one insight I have drawn all the years, even if you are faced with a formidable state, Nothing is such formidable that you cannot penetrate it. And that is why on the question, how are you going to mobilize and let this government realize that the CSOs, that the women groups matter? To me, the women groups must continue and persistently strengthen their ranks and unfailingly promote and assert for the principles and the issues that they advocate for. We have to organize, organize, organize. Organize, 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 and make our voices heard. There is no government, no matter how, I'm sorry to use the word, how formidable they may be, as we would see it, who cannot afford to listen. Because any any government, Amina, is sensitive to public opinion. That is true. Any government is sensitive to public opinion. I'm sorry to say this. That is where the channel 
is where the women groups, the CSOs and the POs could always find their strength to let their voices be heard by government. And they must be ready with alternatives. Meaning, you just do not engage. You just do not subvert. Also, don't just criticize. Offer something productive. Yes, ma'am. Yes, do not just criticize. Offer something that is reliable and that is worthy for that government to consider as a possible option. I see it works, ma'am. It works. You would know that. Yeah, you and you and I have been both in government and uh, civil society, so we know we know that to be to be true. I know, Prof. Ding, so much work needs to be done. So much <laughs> I we need you. to talk about, but but time is yeah. is running out, and we're almost yes. uh, at the end of our of our time. Yes. So before we go, Prof. Bing. I know that uh, many of our listeners are young women. You'd be surprised to know that about 8% of our listeners are teenagers, oh. would you believe? Really? So well. I'm sure that uh, they would love advice from you, especially those who are aspiring to become empowered women or women's rights advocates. What would be your advice to, to them? And also to the boys and men who support such women. Yeah. Okay. So for the young girls uh, who are present, the future is for you to build now. I am, I mean, I've been dealing with the youth because I am a professor. That is what I tell my students. And even for the boys, for the young men, the future is for you to build now. What future you would like to have, you build it now. And also I tell them, if you treasure the liberty that you enjoy now, if you treasure the gains of freedom that you enjoy now, remember it was paid with the lives and bloods of those who came ahead of you, then you should not, you should also fearlessly, fearlessly light a candle at any instance when dark clouds hover, you know? So how would a young woman, a young man, understand and commit to this, I say, study. Study and be sensitive to the situation where you are in. It all starts in the family. Look at your family. How are the gender relations in the family? Okay? I'm not saying you fight each other in the family, but study. <laughs> it was a venue for you to study. And then you will see that there are privileges there are discriminations and subordinations that are going on. And sadly, also in our families, there are those who suffer from violence. Then you ask yourself, should I just be a witness, a silent witness? Remember, violence may not victimize you now, but by the fact that you have witnessed it, slowly it will creep into your life. So if you do not want that to happen, then do something. Then a young girl would say, what can I do? It depends on the situation where you are in. My advice is be open. Remember, your survival, the promotion and protection of your individual rights rests on whether the collective rights of your people are also protected. Your protection of your right as a woman, as promotion of your right as a woman, is dependent on whether 
the collective rights of women and children are also protected. And this goes for the young men, the young boys that we have. Because remember, while it is true that there are sexual differences in the manifestation and attacks of violence, the digital technology, which is our ally in all account, has also democratized, broadened the space by which violence is able to infect us. So we cannot say now, I mean, that's why I tell my, the boys no, among my students, you can no longer say it's only the women who will be affected. I tell you, Amina, there were students of ours who say before, oh, no, 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 it's only the girls. You know, the first batch of students who came home to the university and say, we are truly happy that you protect. It's the men because they were not ready to be violated something like that you cannot be ready but then it is for everybody to prepare so study if you are afraid you study then if you see something wrong speak out it all starts never turn to a problem never turn to a violent scenario with a close eye and a silent mouth because the next victim might be you something like that Thanks, thanks so much, Professor Bing. Those are uh, important words to remind our listeners, especially our, our young people, about how important it is that they participate, that they use their voice. And uh, you know, going back to Queen Elizabeth, the late Queen Elizabeth II, that a small step first. Small steps matter. You don't necessarily have to go into giant leaps first. But if there is something that you can do in your immediate family or you witness bullying among your friends, a small step may be a reminder that, hey, let's not do this because do you want it done to you as well? So thank you so much, Prof. Bing, for your message uh, for our listeners. And I do hope, dear listeners, that having listened to Professor Lurdesita uh, Chan, our Professor Bing, that um, many of you would be inspired to join us in our advocacy for a better world, following what the late Queen Elizabeth II had dreamed for us, a better world where the children of today will be secure tomorrow and will be uh, those who are participating to create an even better world for everyone. So, dear listeners, in closing, before I say goodbye to you all, if you would like your questions, comments, or thoughts featured in future episodes of She Talks Peace, do send us an email at shetalkspeacepodcast at gmail.com. Let me repeat that. shetalkspeacepodcast at gmail.com. And with that, thank you so much, Professor Bing, for joining us. And would you like to say goodbye to our listeners, wherever they are? Amina, it's my great honor and pleasure to be invited in this podcast. Thank you for the privilege. And thank you to our dear listeners for your kind attention. And we hope that we find in you some of our successor generation who will carry on 
the task of promoting peace, not only for our immediate environment, but for the rest of the world. Thank you to our production crew. Thank you, Amina, and to all who spent our afternoon with us. Thanks, Prof. Bing. And thank you all for listening to us. This is Amina Rasul saying goodbye. See you next time at She Talks Peace. Bye now. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.